This is the Conduit Church Teaching Podcast. Thanks for joining us. It's our mission to be a conduit of Jesus to the community in front of us and the world around us, starting with the teaching of His Word. Enjoy the message. We're going to continue our sermon series, What's True About You, and wrapping up Romans chapter 12. We've been going through Romans for the past seven months, and we've been in the, the book of, or the chapter of Romans 12 for the whole month of February. So we're going to wrap that up today. So Romans 12, starting in verse 9, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and pull that out. But I want to give just a little context for what we've been learning concerning the spiritual gifts. And it's not just uh, found in Romans 12. Spiritual gifts are found in two other places. So I kind of want to give some context to the spiritual gifts. They're found here in Romans 12. They're also found in 1 Corinthians 12. And we really wanted Paul to make it super easy on us and have it in Ephesians 12, but it's actually in Ephesians 4. So it's in those three sections that you'll find the different spiritual gifts. And this is something we've taught on over the past year and a half or so. And this graphic um, behind me is um, something that actually Darren put together as he's been compiling um, a study on the spiritual gifts. It's kind of broken out into these three ways over these three chapters, and it's it, it almost reminds me a little bit of the, the board game Clue. You guys played that game before? It's kind of like, um, you know, Colonel Mustard in the kitchen with the candlestick, okay? It's, it's your life gift that you have, who you are. Are you using that in the right place, and are you using the right tool that the Holy Spirit has given you for that moment? It's kind of the best way to explain that. So I kind of wanted to give some context to that now that we're in Romans chapter 12, talking through the gifts uh, this past couple of weeks. And today is going to be kind of continuing that thought as Paul continues this thought. The premise for the gifts in Romans 12 is humility. The proof of the gifts is love. And that's what he's detailing through the rest of this chapter. The premise for the gifts is humility. He repeats this uh, idea over and over in all of his writings, this spirit of humility that we should have as believers. And then the proof of that, uh, of those gifts, should result in love, actionable effort of love. And so that is, again, the premise for Romans chapter 12, 9 through 21, that we are going to read today. Let's go ahead and read that passage if you have your Bibles. Starting in verse 9, he says, Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints to seek and seek to show hospitality. Verse 14, bless those who persecute you and bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance is mine and I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink, for by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not overcome evil, but overcome evil 
with good. It's the word of the Lord this morning. Let's pray. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for how it instructs us. Thank you for how it guides us. Lord, we ask that that your spirit remains in this room, Lord, that it moves our hearts through the teaching of your word. Lord, that today, um, just in this moment, as we study your living word, may it speak to our hearts. Help it to... um, Help it to move and rearrange things around in our heart to draw us closer to you. In Jesus' name, amen. A few months ago, some friends of ours went out to, uh, on a little birthday dinner date. One of our friends had a birthday. So we're all out together. And uh, as is customary, the waitress comes by and takes our drink order, go around the table, get our drinks. And of course, if you've ever been in Uh, out to dinner with me or to lunch. I'm the most predictable person you've ever eaten with. I get the same thing every time. No fun. So I order what I always order. I order a Dr. Pepper and an ice water. Something about that ordering both of them just kind of balances out the fact that I'm probably over drinking the Dr. Pepper. So having the water on the table makes me feel a little bit better about it. So I order those two things. She comes back around, brings me the Dr. Pepper, and I begin enjoying my Dr. Pepper. And then all of a sudden I wasn't enjoying my Dr. Pepper because something fell off. I didn't know if it was because I had like a sinus infection or my taste buds weren't working right, but it definitely was not Dr. Pepper. But I gave it kind of the benefit of the doubt because I didn't want to like be that guy. But at the same time, I needed my Dr. Pepper. And so I waved the waitress over, let her know, ma'am, I think I, I, I just, I don't think this is Dr. Pepper, but could you go ahead and swap that out for me? She's like, oh yeah, our Dr. Pepper machine is broken. It's Diet Dr. Pepper. I didn't think you would notice. <laughs> Excuse me? Do you know who you're talking to? Do you not realize I am a professional connoisseur of all things Dr. Pepper for my entire life and you thought you could sneak that by me? No. And so I took a deep breath and just asked for her to give me a Coke or something different. I definitely was not going to partake in the evil of Dr. Pepper. I needed the diet Dr. Pepper. I needed the real thing, which they didn't have. So, But it all ended up working out. Got my dinner comped. That was nice. But the fact of the matter is I knew it wasn't the real thing. I knew that it was a counterfeit. I knew that it was a fake. It was an off-brand. And you all know when that happens to you in your life, when something is fake. And Paul is speaking to this very thing in this chapter. He's talking about a genuine, authentic, sincere love. And we all can call out fakes in the room when we're pretending to love or we're pretending to be Christ-like, we're pretending to do that thing, it's out of obligation or just whatever it could be. We can call it out, we can spot it because the opposite is true. The opposite is true. We can spot when something is genuine, we can spot when something is sincere and authentic and we're drawn to it and we know it. And so that day I was reminded, man, this is, This is how we should live. And this is what Paul is instructing us to do is to have a brand of love that is authentic, genuine, and sincere. And that's what he's teaching here. And and in these verses, 9 through 21, he actually gives 30 different imperatives that we should live by. 30 different actionable gifts of um, display of our gifts in love. 30. And I was reading that this week and I felt a little bit overwhelmed by all of them as I'm reading them out. Like, man, this is a lot to keep up with. 
But as you really drill down and begin to study it, you see he kind of breaks it out into two sections. He, he addresses the believers. He addresses how we should love our brothers and sisters in Christ. And then he addresses on how we should love an unbelieving world and those that maybe don't know Christ. He addresses loving the body and loving the broken, both in this chapter. And what's beautiful about that is the fact that this is the reason for us to, to worship him to begin with, because his body was broken for us, and this is our response. This is our response. That's what he talks about in the first couple verses of Romans chapter 12, that we would be a living sacrifice, that this would be our reasonable service. And so this is what he's detailing and what this should look like, loving the body and loving the broken. So verse nine, he starts out and he, he gives what, what I would say is an introductory statement in verse nine on love must be sincere, to hate what is evil and to cling to what is good. And then he lists out verses 10, 11, 12, and 13 are kind of broken down into these sections. And so I've kind of put this little chart together to help make sense of all of the information that, that Paul is spewing out here. Each of these verses in 10, 11, 12, and 13 support this idea of what sincere, genuine love should look like, the proof of our love. So in verse 10, he starts off, be devoted to one another in love, honor one another above yourself. And that trait is humility. And humility is something that Paul repeats over and over and over in his writings, especially when addressing the gifts, especially when addressing our spiritual gift, when the Holy Spirit comes in and takes over our hearts and our minds and we are to move forward. He's always reminding us that that should be in humility. He does it multiple times and he does it here as well. And this, the implication is that we're dying to self in order to serve and love one another. And of course, Jesus was our example for this. In John 15, he reminds us that greater love has no one than this to lay down his life for one's friends, that we would have humility for our brothers and sisters in Christ, that we would serve them, that we would lift them up. It's hard for us sometimes. I don't know why it's so hard for us, but it is. That we would learn to play second fiddle. That is a, uh, that's a phrase that Eugene Peterson puts in the message version of this. Learn to play second fiddle. I don't play a fiddle, but if I did, you would learn to give someone else the spotlight is what that means. Humility. Verse 11, never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. It's talking about the heart, the passion, it describes passion and diligence, which love is a catalyst. Have you ever been around somebody that's just so full of zeal, they're contagious, you can't help but want to be with them and do what they're doing? Have you been in a room with somebody like that? Yeah, you were this morning with Eric Newberry. That's zeal. The definition of zeal, right next to it, is a guy with a long beard, Eric Newberry. That's the definition of zeal. It's what it should look like. You should have so much passion and fervor and excitement for what the Lord has done in your life that you can't help but tell somebody else about it and provoking them to do good things. Hebrews uh, 10.24 is one of our, one of Conduit's kind of um, foundational verses. We have it on several signs around the building. Hebrews 10.24 reminds us, and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. That we encourage one another to do something 
to, 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 make, to have your love, that the love that you've, you've had in your heart, that the Lord has changed your heart, that it would stir up something in you to go and do. We talk about it, Darren has taught this numerous times that we would discover our gift, we would develop our gift, and deploy our gift. It's not meant to sit still. So that's what Paul is reminding us in this chapter. That we would have heart to serve one another. In verse 12, that we would be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. And we're learning hope. This is the idea of hope. This is a, a core verse that we used here at Conduit in, in the year 2020. If you remember, it was something that we kind of parked our car and sat on for about six months was this one verse. And it was during, uh, during pandemic when things started to kind of un- unravel and unroll and then we shut down for five or six weeks and then we relaunched in June of 2020. And we, we led with this verse, that this was gonna be our verse for our church, that we would be um, joyful in hope. This is, a hope. this is a hope that speaks to the fact that we can endure affliction, we can endure uh, adversity. It's the hope that we know that when we zoom out and see the big picture that we know we're just passing through this world and we can sing and live about uh, God coming back to rescue us and restore this world. That's the hope that we have. And that we would be patient in affliction and faithful in prayer. Many of you uh, were here when we turned our old sanctuary into a, uh, a prayer chapel, if you remember that. It was open almost 24 hours a day for seven days a week. It was just a place where we could come and just be with the Lord, especially during that time. That we would be a house of prayer and that we'd have hope and that's contagious. Psalms 136 reminds us his love endures forever. This is something that we need to be carrying around with us and be reminded of, that his love endures forever, allows us to push through adversity. In verse 13, Paul says, share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. This speaks to help. Love should be eager to help meet physical and financial needs, and I'm so grateful that this is a church body that does that, very open-handed, This is one of the most generous church bodies I've ever been a part of or ever heard of or ever seen. The amount that comes in and the amount that goes right out to meet a physical need in almost an immediate turn is unbelievable. You guys are an example of what this exactly looks like and what Paul was trying to speak to the Roman church to live like. Conduit Church is doing that and thank you for being that example. Acts 2, 44 and 45 is really what he's referring to. We've parked and stayed and taught a lot about Acts 2:42, that we would be devoted to these things. We would be devoted to the teaching of his word, to fellowship, the breaking of bread and prayer. And then right after that, what does it say? Acts 2, 44 and 45. It talks about how all the believers were together and they had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give anyone who had need. This is the proof of love is that we would meet one one another's needs in the body of Christ. It's exactly what he's talking about here. And then he changes from loving the body to loving the broken. Kind of changes his his tenor a little bit and he addresses those that um, maybe have been persecuted or have persecuted you, those that mistreat you, those that um, are unbelievers that uh, find themselves in your world. He even goes as far as to address those that are perhaps your enemies. 
If, if you have an enemy, raise your hand. You have an enemy. Okay, we've got some bold people in here saying they've got some enemies. If your enemy is in this room, keep your hand up. Wait, no, don't do that. Joel. We all have enemies. Sidebar. I'm going to tread lightly here. The, one of the reasons we, people have asked, why don't you just dump some gravel on the lawn and uh, we could have some parking out there? Well, it's because we've, we've, got, we've got some friends that may not be so much friends in part of the county that are helping restrict that. That may or may not be our enemy or my enemy. So I'm praying, I'm asking you to help me work through this enemy that we may or may not have in order to get more parking. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> We're working on it. But there's forces pushing up against. And so Paul has reminded me this week on how we should deal with this. And he really stresses two core principles here. He, he, he says that our love for others is not contingent on how we are treated. This is really hard for us to understand. Our love for others is not contingent on how we are treated. The love of Christ surpasses that. Romans chapter five, verse five, talks about his love was poured in our hearts with the Holy Spirit to lead and guide us. So we actually have the ability to love when you don't think you can love that person for what they said or did to you. You actually do have that love in you. And I was reminded of that this week. Kill them with kindness. Kill them with kindness. Respond versus react. This is a, another thing that Paul is really pointing to here is that we will learn to respond versus react. This really comes down to um, a life of humility in a lot of ways because it's so easy for us to react to any given situation. It's really easy for us to react to somebody that says the wrong thing to us with a quick word. We can pounce on them. They want to have an argument about a, a topic or a thing. It's real easy for us to react, overreact, knee-jerk reactions, push back, self-defensive. That's our flesh. We're really good at that. But what Paul is calling us to is to learn how to respond. And respond, responding looks a lot different. Responding looks like um, us being patient, us taking in information, processing it, taking a deep breath, learning to listen to somebody, not just hearing them, but listening to what they have to say and responding in the love of Christ with a word. That's really hard for us to do. And quite frankly, over the past couple of years, we've had a lot of opportunities to get this right or to get this wrong. Over the past couple of years, each of us have rubbed up against those that maybe don't believe the same way we believe about politics, about biology and science, finances, each of us have had opportunities to really rub up against those that may not believe like we do in an unbelieving world. And so we've had an opportunity, the church has had an opportunity to love the broken and I hope that we can do better. I hope that we can learn to respond in a way that's a reflection of Christ and not just react, whether it's keyboard warriors or in person that we can respond in a way that is Christ-like, respond in a way that looks like loving the broken. And that's something that we can all work on. We can be challenged with to do better. And I love in verse 18, 
where he says, if possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. He puts that if possible, meaning he's implying that there's times perhaps where it's not possible. It's not possible to, be, to live peaceably with that person. But he's saying, if possible, live peaceably with all. That's a challenge for us. I want to give an example of, of what loving our enemies can look like. It's a story of Samuel. Samuel is one of our, our guys on the ground with Operation Freedom in Asia. He's a Christian. And Samuel, um, what he is doing, he's loving his enemy by purchasing supplies, food, and taking them into radical Muslim villages and sharing the gospel. So on this picture right here, so this is, we've blurred out Samuel's face for, for his protection because this is dangerous work. I don't know that you understand. I don't know that we understand that when a Christian in this area, a proclaiming Christian, walks into a radical Muslim area, he is not safe. From childhood, those children have been taught that Christians are the enemy, like they use that language. He has been assaulted, he has been beaten. Over the past couple of months, there was a time where he was held at gunpoint for even coming near them. But it's not stop Samuel because he has the love of Christ in him. And the scripture says, if they are hungry, feed them. If they're thirsty, give them drink. Samuel's taking it very literally and he's doing that. One of the, the picture that we just saw, if you could put that back up, Rebecca, where, this, where Samuel's giving food to this older gentleman and I see the young man in this picture. To me, like this speaks of hope. Because the, the older gentleman, he, he has already concluded of what Christianity is and what it means. He's lived his whole life believing a lie about Jesus. But he's hearing about the gospel now because Samuel shared the gospel with him. But it's this young man here in this picture that really inspires me. Because this young man now looks like, now, now sees Samuel in a way that maybe he didn't know that he could see Samuel because he was taught that Samuel's bad. Samuel's an enemy. This guy doesn't like me, wants to kill me, wants to take me out. But that's simply not true. And so now Samuel has, um, in this young man, have an opportunity to, to have a connection to see that Samuel really does have his best interest in mind and Samuel actually does love him, doesn't hate him, he loves him. And this young man has the opportunity to change the direction of not only his life, but his family tree, the village, a whole country, because of the love of Christ that Samuel is bringing to this community. It's just a beautiful picture of loving your enemy. It's not without risk. There's a couple other photos here. This is uh, something that, that he's done over the past month, and in fact, um, Conduit has, has given $5,000 to this specific uh, mission that Samuel has been leading. Because of your generosity, we've been able to help fund Samuel's relentless pursuit of loving his enemies. And he's leading them to the Lord. They're receiving freedom and hearing the good news of the gospel for the first time. I love this picture. The guy in the middle is kind of like, should I be taking this? I'm supposed to hate you, but you're loving me, and I'm not sure what I feel about this. 
He's wrestling in his heart. You can just see him just trying to reconcile what's happening. And that's exactly the point. That we would reconcile this love that the Lord has shown us. That we would do something about it. Not just hold it in. That we would tell somebody. That we would show the love of Christ in meaningful ways. And in this way is a very practical way. It's just a very inspiring story, and I'm thankful for your generosity that allows Samuel to do this each and every day. And it reminds me of Romans chapter two, verse four. It's his kindness that leads to repentance. It's not his justice. It's not his shame. It's not his power, his might that leads to repentance. It's his kindness through us, that we would show kindness to our enemies. We would show kindness to those that persecute us, those that mistreat us, those that call us names. That we would, that we would respond in a way that is Christ-like. That's the goal. That's what leads to repentance. That's what leads to a change of heart. I came across this, ver- uh, this uh, quote this week. When you learn to sit at the table with your Judas, you'll learn the love of Christ. When you learn to sit at the table with your Judas, you'll learn the love of Christ. And I don't know who that Judas is in your life. I don't know if who that person is that's your enemy that you raised your hand for. I don't know who that person is that persecutes you or that you just have a really hard time talking to. I know who those people are in my life but to think through what it would look like to sit at a table with them and respond in a way that Jesus would. Like, what would Jesus do if he pulled up a seat with Judas and they just talked about that? What would that look like? What would that sound like? So it's an encouragement to us to pursue these things. They're hard things. These are not easy things. I am wired to be uh, loyal to the death. Like, that is who I am. That's the way the Lord made me. Like, I'm a golden retriever, man. If I'm on your side, I'm not going anywhere. I'm your buddy. I'm your pal. And so the worst thing that can happen in my life is for somebody to betray me. That's, I feel very deeply when that happens, and that has happened in my life. But to be able to sit down with that betrayer and show the love of Christ and forgiveness and work it out and talk it out in the way that Christ would. It's something that we should pursue and it's something that that we are called to do in this chapter. And I love how it says in verse 20. uh, It says, for by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Now, does anybody know what that means? It may, not think, it may not mean what you think it means. Really what it means is it's, it's, an, it's an abundance of kindness. Heaping burning coals on someone's head was actually a really good thing. It meant you were being very neighborly. Back in the day, they would uh, heat things using coals. And they would have coals in their furnace. And if a coal, if your coals went, um, went dry or they burn up and they were no longer usable, you would go to the neighbor's house and you would ask for some burning coals. And they would scoop them up, put them in a bin, and you would carry it on your head back to your house. So heaping burning coals on your head was a, shine of, a sign of kindness. 
It was an act of hospitality. It was an, it was an act of, of humility that you would give up something that had a major value and worth and you would give it to your, to, your, to your neighbor. And in this case, Paul's actually referring to that as you would do that for your enemy. You would heap burning coals, overcoming evil with good is what he talks about here and encouraging us to do. I don't know what heaping burning coals looks like in today's vernacular, but it's going the extra mile. It's humility. It's loving on them when they don't think they deserve it. Because you know what? God gave us his love and we didn't deserve it. And so this is our reasonable service. This is our response to that. In the margins of your Bible, if you're taking notes, um, somewhere in Romans chapter 12, between 9 and 21, just kind of right in the margin, the verse John 13, 35. If you have it um, and you have your Bibles, you want to turn there. Super simple verse, John 13, 35 says, by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. This is how the world knows that we are his disciples. Not by our crafty arguments, not by our quick wit, not by all of our data and statistics, not by our influence and who we know. Nope, none of that. We are known by our love. We are, we are known as his disciples by how we love. And so this week, what are we going to do about it? How is it going to look different than last week? What are some actionable steps that we're going to take, whether it's, um, whether it's heart, humility, hope? How can we help? How can we love the body? How can we love the broken? That is our call this week. How can we do these things well, we can do them because it's been done for us. So it's an overflow. So this week, that's our challenge, church, that we would love in a way that's so obvious that it's not diet love. It's the real thing. Sincere, authentic, genuine love. People would know the difference. Let's pray. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for speaking to us today. Thank you for the clarity that your word gives. Lord, thank you for allowing us to um, have a playbook on how to do life. We're not in this by ourselves, Lord. We're, we have the Holy Spirit to lead us and guide us, Lord. We have brothers and sisters to come alongside, but we're not alone. Thank you for just allowing us to even gather in this room today to be encouraged Lord, that your love is contagious. Lord, may we leave here um, with an overflow that just spills out into our week and into our homes. Lord, help us to lead our families this week with intentionality and purpose. Lord, help us to be a good friend this week. Lord, and if the opportunity presents itself, may we step in and lean into our enemies, whatever that looks like. Lord, and I pray for just a, um, a hedge of protection around this church. Lord, I pray for protection around each family that's represented here today. Lord, that you would protect relationships. Lord, you would protect them financially. You would protect them in ways that, that we didn't even know we needed. Lord, that you would surround your church today. That we would go out into the world and feel 
your love and your protection. Lord, we, th- we pray for an, we just pray for a revival. We pray for revival to sweep across this nation, sweep across the world. We pray for our brothers and sisters all across the globe, including our brothers and sisters in Ukraine, in Russia, Belarus, Moldova, Poland, in Haiti, Kenya, and Honduras, Canada. Our brothers and sisters in Canada, Lord, we pray for the bashers who may be watching right now online. Lord, thank you for Glenda and Andrew. We pray for them. Give them clarity and wisdom. Lord, thank you for assembling soldiers that represent the kingdom. Thank you for the fact that this is not our home. Lord, that our citizenship is with the kingdom and it's with you. Lord, help us to go and conquer in Jesus' name and show the love of Jesus in your name. Amen.